got a little bit of a cold, and so if I uh, sound a little uh, like I'm running through my second lap of puberty, uh, bear with me today. I try not to laugh too much. I would laugh if I were in your seat. It's okay. Hey, if you're new, it's an honor to have you. If you're just trying to figure out church and all that stuff, here's what we. Here's why we're here. We we exist to know Christ, make Him known, enjoy the journey. It's not. We try not to make it complicated. It's really simple. We want to know Jesus, and we want to make sure that He's known to the world. Uh, we want to do what this song says, which is to, to let the world know that he's come, that he is the Messiah, that he came to forgive us of all of our sins so that we could be new and live new lives. And, and, and we want the world to know that. And we want to enjoy the journey because we believe that walking with God is a, is a better life. It's a different life. And we want, to, we want to be about that. And if you came today maybe not sure about Jesus or the Bible or church, then with reservations or doubts or questions, you're in the right place. We're glad that you're here. We don't pretend uh, to have it all figured out. No one's arrived here. We're, we're just trying to walk with God and, and discern what his, uh, his, his next best step is for us as well. And so as they've talked about, as we sung about, as we showed you on video, we're, we're introducing a new uh, series today called Vintage Christmas. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at three Christmas carols that are famous. We've probably all sung them, and sometimes we probably sing things that we don't always either understand or really recognize as we sing them. And so we want to bring them back, and, and in doing so, actually show us a little bit more of the doctrinal aspects of who God is and, 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 and his deity and who he is. And so today we're going to start off by talking about Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. And, and, and Charles Wesley is the guy who wrote this uh, amazing uh, Christmas carol that we've been singing for a long time. Charles Wesley grew up in a family who had 18 kids, 18 a lot of kids. And, uh, and if Charles Wesley would have been alive today, he would have had a show on TLC, some kind of big family, crazy Christmas Christian show that we would have watched their kids and all that type of thing. And he had a brother named John Wesley. John Wesley uh, was a great revivalist, and he actually was the one who founded the Methodist Church. And, and Charles was also a, a pastor, uh, a teacher, uh, but he was mostly known for the, the, the 6,000 hymns that he wrote, and, and you may recognize them if you grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church, but I did sing a couple of these, but uh, some of the songs that he, he wrote were Jesus, Lover of My Soul, that's, that's one of them, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, if you remember that song, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. No? Not going with me? Okay, you're, I didn't go there either, but anyway, uh, and, then, and then another one is Oh for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, it's one of the songs that he sang. Uh, and wrote as well. Today we're, we're, we're going to live in this idea of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and these words were written 1737 by Charles Wesley, 279 years ago. It's an old song. I mean, it's a song that's been sung uh, who knows how many times, honestly. Uh, it creates the backdrop of this very important song by looking at the birth of Jesus in the very first setting, Luke chapter 2. And we're, that's, that's the main text where we're going to go today. If you've got your Bibles, go there. If not, it's going to be on the screens. Also, in your outlines, these will be available for you, so that way you can kind of follow along as we go. You got a problem, you think? Okay, we're going to just pause for a second as you get to Luke chapter 2. Maybe think about what you're thinking about, whatever that is, and we're going to do this real quick, okay? We'll do this real quick. No? We're good. Okay. Kelsey said, I said, well, do you want to fix this one? She said, no, I just know how much it's going to annoy you, so we're going to go ahead and give you a different one. So thank you for knowing me. It's awesome. You're wonderful. All right. So in this, um, in this, song, the very, in this song, the very beginning of it is the first line, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth 
and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The first stanza is all about this idea of hark the hair. We don't use the word hark anymore, but the, the word hark simply means to pay attention. Something significant has just happened. In fact, if this is true, it has significance that, that, that moves us beyond this life to the next life. It has eternal significance for us. And in your notes, the first stanza of this, of this Christmas carol focuses in on how the birth of Jesus was announced or communicated. That's what this is about. Okay? It's about announcing amazing news. All right? Imagine the shepherds are out in the, in the fields and, and they're out taking care of these sheep. And, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, an angel comes down. And, and, and declares his presence among them. And every time, what you need to know is, and I don't know if you believe in, in angels or, or if you've ever seen a lot of shows that believe in angels. I believe in angels because the Bible says that they're angels, but, but a lot of times we think of angels being like, you know, like babies with wings, and they're kind of, which would be creepy in and of itself, would be weird. Um, but, but every time they saw an angel, anyone in the Bible, they fell face down, scared to death, and, and always, almost always the angel's first words were, don't be afraid. And so in this situation, this angel appears to these, these shepherds, these common uh, hired hands that were out in a pasture, and he announces, begins to announce the birth of Jesus to them. And, and they had a reason to be afraid. Even before this angel, the shepherds were living in, in Palestine. And the Roman, uh, Rome was the, uh, the, the dominant empire that day. And, and if you weren't a Roman citizen, here's the reality. You could be thrown in prison, you could be arrested, you could be killed at any point for any reason. The shepherds were guarding their flocks. Against what? They always had shepherds out guarding their flocks. Here's the reality. They, they guarded them against people who were trying to steal them or against wild animals that would try to devour them. And, and sheep were an anxious animal. They are an anxious, anxious animal. They get scared easily. They can't defend themselves. I mean, you know, you start thinking about all the different cool, like, nicknames for wrestlers or, or football players. I've never heard anyone called, like, a sheep. You know, it's like Hulk Hogan, you know, the Great American, all these different, you know, wrestlers. You go back, they, they never say, you know, Hulk Hogan the sheep because sheep are, are nothing. I mean, they can't defend themselves, right? It's like, no one wants to be that. And like, no, that's going to be your nickname. No, I don't want it to be. Anyway, but the sheep couldn't defend themselves. And so, so these shepherds were here to protect and guard them. And they lived in a, in a tough time. Again, most people who weren't uh, from Rome weren't Roman descent. They had either a brother or, or a father or a grandfather or an uncle that had been uh, crucified on a cross. I mean, Jesus wasn't the first crucifixion that happened in that day. Thousands of people were crucified. Uh, Rome didn't mess around. They, didn't, they, they had a judicial system that was quick, steady, and strong. And, and, and if, you, if you mess with Rome, then you paid for it, and they wanted everybody to know. And crucifixion was public. It was for the world to see. They would put people on trees anywhere so that all the world could recognize, hey, don't mess with Rome. So there was a lot to be afraid of. And in fact, there's a lot to be afraid of today. And I don't have to spend a whole lot of time thinking about that, but if you think about the things that are going on in our world, the stuff that we see on our news, whether that's terrorism or wars or wildfires or college campus shootings, an unstable job market, an economy that's very, that's very shaky, it's a lot for us to be concerned about. And my hope this Christmas is that we begin to capture the comfort that's found in these words that Charles Wesley wrote. It's found in Luke 2, 8 and 9. It says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
And again, I don't know what you believe about angels or demons, if you believe that they exist. If you read Ephesians chapter 6, you will find that it's very clear all throughout the scriptures there are, there are, there are notions and, and statements about, about this army that are both, both for God and then also against God. But, but they are, these angels were warlike creatures, okay? with wings, powerful, and, and, and God used them to do battle, that God used them to protect God's people, God used them to deliver and communicate key messages, and he actually does that in this setting. This night that Jesus was born, an angel suddenly appeared to a group of sleepy farmhands that are out in a pasture somewhere, and this is pretty spectacular. If, if you were one of the angels, imagine this, all right? God says, hey, listen, I'm going to send you down, and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna communicate this news about my son being born. And they're like, awesome, who are we going to talk to? Like, are we going to Caesar? Are we going to talk to him? Are we going to talk to, you know, Pilar? Who are we going to talk to? Are we going to spread this out throughout the land so that everybody knows? No, no, you're just going to a couple shepherds. Really? I mean, this is like significant. This is like the most important, significant moment in all of history. The Son of God, the Messiah, is now finally here. He's being born. And God said, no, no, you're just going to these, these shepherds. Son of, son of God has been born. And, and I don't know about you, but I know every father who has a son um, cannot, cannot hold it in. I mean, you just can't, you can't not share this information. And sometimes you just share it with lots and lots of people. I remember when our 14-year-old was born, um, I remember the news, and, and, and some of you have wrestled with infertility, and, and we did for, for, for many years. And as we wrestled through that, and, and finally, for whatever reason, finally my wife was pregnant. She came to me, and she showed me like you know, a dozen of these pregnancy tests. You know, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, what does that mean? you sure that that's what that means? And she's like, yes, it says it on the paper. I'm like, they're all the same. Yeah, they are. That means I'm pregnant. I'm like, yeah, well, let's go to the doctor and let's just get a little confirmation. So we call the doctor and the doctor says, absolutely, she's pregnant. And we're like, woohoo. And this is I got to hear the heartbeat for the first time. It was absolutely amazing. I couldn't stop telling people. In fact, when our second daughter was born, she's adopted. Uh, we, 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 we were living in Seattle. We headed down toward Portland, and, and we got to the hospital right when she was born, and it was absolutely amazing. I told everybody, anybody and everybody that I could, that I was so excited about her being born. And then our third, Amelia, uh, just blown away that God would bless us with one more. Didn't think that that would ever happen. Biologically, we had her on our own, and just really thankful, really grateful. But I, I, I tell you, I, can't, I couldn't stop telling people. I was so tired. I remember even after Avery was born, we stayed up all night. And we actually kept her in the room with us, and if you're... If you've ever had kids, uh, the first one, uh, I'll just tell you, if you haven't had kids and you're going to have kids, uh, they say, hey, do you want your baby to stay the night with you or do you want them to go back to the nursery? Here's the answer. Go back to the nursery. All right. That's the key thing. All right. We didn't know that. Thought this is wonderful. It's going to be great. She was up the whole night. I was exhausted. I remember taking a break and running to Applebee's. All right. I'm over to Applebee's and I'm just like, I'm, I don't even know what I ate. And, and they're like, hey, are you doing all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm so tired. And they're like, oh, well, why? What's going on? I'm like, well, my wife and I, we just had a baby yesterday, like we had a baby. She had a baby, and, and she's, they're like, oh, okay, cool, what did you have? I'm like, well, we had a boy. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, no, no I, we had a girl. I mean, I'm so tired. I didn't even deliver this child. I mean, it was ridiculous. But I mean, I, but I, I'm, telling, I'm telling anybody and everybody. I, I forgot to tip the guy, and I, had to go, I went back to the hospital, and wife's like, hey, did you tip? I'm like, oh, yeah. So I ran back over and gave him a tip. So, I'm so sorry. Uh, just a little bit brain dead because of this. I mean, it, it's, it, I just wanted the world to know. And you would think that God would want the world to know. I mean, in this moment, I mean, everybody's been talking about a Messiah that's coming. All the prophets have been talking about this. Thousands of years, all these, all these Jews grew up going, you know, there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a Messiah. He's coming. Here's what he's going to look like. Here's what he's going to be born. All these things about the Messiah. And he's finally here. And very few people ever even know about it, at least in that moment. If it were me, 
And I'm not God, thank God, I'm not God. But if I were God and I had his resources, I'm telling you, like fireworks over Bethlehem, like no one would have missed this moment. Like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter would have known it. Like there would have been lightning, flashes, meteor showers. There would have been volcanoes. I don't know if there were volcanoes over there, but they would have blown up. The world would have known that, 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 that the Messiah was born. But not in this case. And it's interesting because what we'll find over the course of these next three weeks is that God's ways are far from our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It says this, uh, God says this actually through Isaiah. He says this in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways like your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth. That's how different God's thoughts are from ours. As, as much as we think of it as simple, and he, he sees it very differently. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I'm, I'm sure all of heaven was rejoicing in that moment when Jesus was born. But very few people even had an idea that this was going on. He chose to announce the birth of his son by an angel quietly to a couple poor shepherds. What's interesting about this is this is a characteristic of God that we don't ever really ever think about or talk about, but it's, it just shows God's humility, that God would humbly bring Jesus, usher Jesus into the world in a way that we would never have anticipated. He wanted people to know him, but he wanted them to know him in the right way and experience him in the right way. And look at what, look what the angel said in, in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. This is powerful. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Underline that. That's key for all of us today. And then it says this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. That could be a sermon within itself just right there. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you that, that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It doesn't tell him where it is, where he is, but this is, this is what you need to look for. I wonder if, 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 if we have taken time and here we are, we're at the uh, of, of December, the 11th, all right? We're, we're, we're already into December. I wonder if we've taken time to just really think about and celebrate the, the whole meaning and purpose of what this is, is all about for us. It's a powerful story. God's greatest gift came in the form of a baby. There was an article written in the Dallas Tribune. Uh, it was an interview that, that, that they had interviewed several kindergarten students, and they asked them this one question, where do babies come from? Right? They asked, it's a pretty dangerous question to ask little kids where they came from, depending on what your parents tell you, what they say about uh, all of this. And this is, what, this is what some of them said. Linda, age five, said, mommies go and buy them at stores. Girls cost $5 and boys cost 50 cents. <laughs> it's about right. You know, some of us are probably... I don't know, half price, 25 cents anyway. Michael Sell, age five, said this. I'm not real sure, but I know moms have to go get them. If you're kind of handsome, it means that you're a boy. And if you're wearing lipstick, then that means you're a girl. There you go. <laughs> Alicia Crew, age five, said, they come from fairy godmothers. They, they make them out of yarn and crayons. I, I think Alicia's been smelling a little glue. I don't know. She's maybe a little too arty. I don't know. Kelly Sweat, age six, says this. They come from the frozen food counter in the supermarket, just like TV dinners. All their mommies have to do is warm them up when they want them. I don't know about that. <laughs> Somebody's been lying to their kids. Here's the last one. David Joyner said this, age six. My mama told me storks bring them, but I know that isn't true because we have a lot of babies around here and I've not seen any storks. <laughs> I think they come from UPS. <laughs> there you go. In your notes... 
the angel said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. I love that statement. There might not be a better statement in, in all the Bible, to be honest. All people means white people and black people and Asian people and Hispanic people. It means poor people. It means rich people. That means church people. That means non-church people. That means people who know Jesus. It means people who don't know Jesus. It means that if you grew up in a Christian home, you have godly parents. That's awesome. It's good news for you. It means if you didn't grow up in a Christian home, it means that, that if you were a moral person, that's great. If, if your life's been a mess, here's the reality. This news can, be, can bring great joy to you in your life. It's why we start off every, every single service by talking to you about why we're here, why we exist. We want to know Christ. We want to make him known. We want to enjoy the journey. We want everybody to know that here's the reality, that, that God sent his son on a rescue mission for us so that we can know him, experience him, be forgiven, be redeemed, and find freedom and hope in him. Messiah is here. And all these Jews have been waiting, longing, thousands of years, all this talk, all the prophets, all the things that have been said about the Messiah. And he's finally, finally here. The Messiah simply means this. It, all it means is this, the one who was to come. Or you might write the words down, a deliverer, all right? He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. A savior has been born. He is the Lord. And that news caused the shepherds to stand still because a deliverer had come in the form of a baby boy. I love the next few lines in this song. It says, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The word peace here is the Hebrew word for the word shalom. And often when we think of the word peace, we think of, well, the absence of war. And that's not what this term meant in the Hebrew. The word peace means that we had complete wholeness with God. That, that God and man were now at peace because of what Jesus was about to do for us. It means that we actually have the ability to have peace with one another because of what Christ has done for us. The word reconcile simply means that, that, that what was broken can now be put back together again. I love the lines, God and sinners reconciled. He's reconciling our broken accounts, allowing Jesus to pay the price so that we could be forgiven and free, be redeemed so that we can know him. Colossians 1, 9, 19 and 20 says, for God, and this is powerful, look at this, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. God was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. It reminds us that, that there's a need that we have. Our greatest need is a need for a savior. Our need for someone to reconnect us back to God because of our own brokenness, because of our own sin nature. We need Jesus. I love what happens next. It says an army of angels, Joe talked about this, an army of angels worship God through song. Okay? Music is moving. You, you know what, you, you may not be able to sing, but you know what, you're moved by music. Some of you love to sing and, and, and maybe even write songs or, or you have a favorite playlist or maybe for you, you go, you know what, I, I think back to my favorite songs being that in the 80s during prom, you know, that song happens and you're out there on the dance floor, it's amazing. Or you think to your first song that you, that you dance with your spouse on, on your wedding day, whatever that is, or maybe you have a playlist of songs that you use to work out, whatever that is, we have these songs that move us, motivate us, remind us of key things. We did a series called Mixtape about the Psalms. They're just songs that are written about God. And, 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 and what's cool here is that at first there's one angel that appears to these, these shepherds. All right, these dudes are just out here watching sheep. It's dark. And all of a sudden an angel shows up. And then all of a sudden it says and a host uh, of, of heavenly angels show up and they start singing. I mean, it had to freak them out completely. 
It says this in Luke 2, 13 through 14. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory to God in the highest, which means God deserves our highest praise. He deserves our first thoughts, our, our, our continual thoughts throughout the day, our worship. No one deserves to be in his spot. He's number one in our lives. We should seek him. We should pursue him. We should worship him for all that he is. And I got to tell you, I love, I love preaching. I love teaching. Thank him for this gift. But I will, I will say this. My favorite thing to do when we're together is not to preach. It's to worship. It's to worship alongside of you. There's something powerful that happens, and I don't get it. The band plays music. There's words on a screen. And, and as we connect with God with, all, with our full heads and our full hearts, God just does something supernatural in us. And I, I will tell you, it, 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 as I've walked with Jesus now since I was 17, a long time, some of the most precious moments for me in my Christian life have been just worshiping with people. It has. I've had countless moments where I've worshiped with my wife. I've had countless moments where I've worshiped with my kids. I remember when Avery was really little, um, she would be in the bathtub, and, and again, really little. Don't bring this news to her, but, uh, but really little. Uh, we would, we would, I would play music that we sang in church, and I would, I would tell her about the, the worship song, and then we would, she would learn the song, and then we would sing it together, and, and it was cool. And now we, we're in the car, and she'll just play worship, and I love to listen to her and sing alongside her, just worshiping with my daughter. It's absolutely amazing. My little kids as well. I've had some countless memories when I was in Bible college and I, I left uh, a scholarship to go to Bible college. I felt like God called me to ministry and, and I get connected on this floor. Second South is what it was called and I am being connected with some really great guys. Uh, some of those guys you saw in that video um, but we were good friends today and, 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 and during that time every Thursday we would do something called prayer group. We would get together and we'd cram into a dorm room and there would be a candle and somebody would would open up God's word and we would just sing together. It's awesome. I've had moments where I've been with, with, with students at CIY Move and, and in fact this past summer uh, getting to worship alongside of them till your voice was hoarse, till you couldn't even sing anymore. It's powerful when God works and moves through our worship. And let me just say this, right? And this is for men in the room, right? This is just a little bit to do with what we're talking about today. Here it is. The sexiest thing about a man is his relationship with God. I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if you ever thought about that. You're probably going, oh, that sounds weird. But here's what I mean by that. Let me unpack that. There's something about a man when he is unashamed and unafraid of his relationship with God that he's willing to stand and worship, stand and sing, stand and declare who he lives for and what he's about. And he's someone who's tough but also tender. He's someone who is confident but who's also willing to depend on God. He's a leader that was willing to do the next right thing. But trust God. That type of man is stunning. Right, ladies? Right? This is your cue. No? Yeah? Golf clap, not, not that good. I would have expected more. I would have expected that, hoo-hoo, that's my man, or something like that, but that's okay. Let me just say that again. The sexiest thing about a man is his relationship with God. Ladies, thank you. That's good. We, we men need to know that. Oh, okay, that's sexy. Okay, well, I'll start doing it. Let me grab my Bible, walk around with it. I don't know, but here's the deal. There's something about a man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, guys, if you will just hear me on that, these angels just worshiped. And when they see that in you, it's powerful. The angel with one voice kept, kept singing, glory to God in the highest 
and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. I love the words from this carol. It says, joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. This song must have resonated into the city from Bethlehem. They must have heard these angels, and I'm sure that even the, the, the shepherds began to join in on this amazing moment, this event in all of human history. Luke 2.15 says this, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has revealed to us. I love the second stanza. It says this, and this is what it focuses on. Write this down in your notes. It focuses on who Jesus is. This is the doctrinal side of this, of this carol that we sing. Check out the words, Christ by heaven, highest heaven adorned, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, I'll explain that, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, held the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Those words are packed, pregnant with meaning. First part of it is this, it teaches his, his deity, Christ's deity. And all that means is that Christ was God. He wasn't just like a, a good moral man. He wasn't just like a really nice man. He wasn't like a really generous person. He wasn't just a, a great teacher. He was God. It says, Christ by heaven, highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Here's what's interesting. You and I, we aren't everlasting. We have a starting point. And for some of you, it was a decade and a half ago. For some of you, it was a long time ago. But for Christ, he was everlasting and he will be in through everlasting. Okay, he didn't just happen to be all of a sudden Jesus is here in Bethlehem and then he lives forever and ever. No, 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 he was always there. In fact, he even says this, hey, before Abraham was born, I was. The scriptures talk about and validate the, the, the triune God, three parts, God, and, God is, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we're all together, always forever, everlasting to everlasting. He also teaches his incarnation. This, this carol teaches about his incarnation. And, 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 and all that means is that God became flesh. God no longer was spirit who, who lived and breathed and moved among us, but he became flesh. He became like us. The creator of all the world became created so that we could identify with him and so that we could understand who he is and what he's like. And then it says, when the fullness of time was, was come, which means at a predetermined time in history... Jesus wrapped himself in flesh, and he came. Bethlehem wasn't Jesus' beginning. It was just the beginning of his incarnation. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see the incarnate deity. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this, who being the very nature of God, this is talking about Jesus. Paul's talking about who Jesus is, the incarnation that God became flesh. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or use it to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself. But taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who, who is God, became like us so that we could know him, we could know who God is like, and so that we could experience him. Jesus is not an adopted son. He's not God in JV form. He is God clothed in flesh. One of Jesus' disciples, his name's uh, John here, kicks off the gospel by just talking about the incarnation of, of Jesus. It says this in John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was always there, and now he's made himself known. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, and the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love what Eugene Peterson says as he paraphrases this verse in John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. He came toward us. We didn't have to go, you know what, God, one day I wanna, I wanna, I'm seeking you and I want to I earn the right to be saved and forgiven. And God said, you don't have to do that. You don't have to climb some ladder religiously to come find me. And I'm coming down. I'm sending my son down. He's going to come and live among you and show you what this looks like and show you who I am and show you the depth of my love so that you can be forgiven and free. The song also teaches about Jesus, his virgin birth. It says, offspring of the virgin's womb. The prophet Isaiah speaks about this, this prophecy back 700 years before the birth of Jesus. It says this in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. 700 years before this happens, and then all of a sudden, Luke relates, God has sent Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married, to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The prophet predicts his name would be Emmanuel, which just means God with us. The virgin's name is Mary. The angel says, I bring you good news, Mary. You are to bear a special child that will become the savior of the world. And of course, Mary, who's 12 or 14 years old, says, oh my gosh, how could that be? I'm not married. I'm pledged to be married to this man named Joseph, and I've never been with a man. And, and then the angel says, no, no, this is what, what's happened to you has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. God took care of this for you. You are doing something different. It's amazing. There are few doctrines that have been more uh, ostracized or scorned than the virgin birth here. And it's not difficult to believe if you believe Genesis 1-1 that says, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that, you can believe all the rest, all the way to, to Revelation. Longtime television talk show host Larry King was, was asked this question, if you could interview one person across all of human history to interview, who would it be? And this guy's really old. He's been around for a long time. He's interviewed like thousands of people, presidents, world leaders, the rich and the famous. <clears throat> and he said this, without batting an eye, he said, I would interview Jesus Christ, and I'd ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would, would define history for me. And he's true. He's right in saying so. I don't know if he knows why that's the case, because here's, here's what's interesting. Sin entered the world through, through Adam and Eve, and every other person born in a natural way has inherited a sin nature of Adam. But Jesus was conceived supernaturally, and he did not inherit the same nature that we have. He lived a perfect life, and he, he qualified as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther calls that the great exchange, which means Jesus gets all of our sin and we get all of his righteousness. We get declared righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done and our faith in him. The third stanza of this powerful, powerful song says that it clarifies the message of God through the gift of Jesus. I love this. It says this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. There's a lot in there. It says that Jesus brought light. 
Jesus said this in John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It also says that Jesus came to bring us life. And you've heard, maybe even memorized John 10, 10. It says the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And the message says, I have come that you may have life, more and better life than you've ever dreamed of. That's why he came. It also says that he came with, to bring healing in his wings, which simply means this. He came to heal us, not just forgive us of our sins. And let me just tell you, if that were, if that were it, if that's the only reason he came was to forgive us so that one day we could go to heaven, but, and, and that was it, that would be enough. But he said, no, no, I want to heal you both now and one day fully, completely. I don't know what you think about when you think about God. I know for me, growing up and not knowing God, not going to church, I always thought if God thinks about me, he thinks, you know, I'm probably, he's probably pretty irritated or sad or even mad about my life. And, and that's what I thought growing up. And maybe that's what even some of you think. And I, I want to show you this passage. And, and you've maybe caught the first verse. You've seen it before. It's the second verse that really stands out and is equally as powerful. John 3, 16 and 17. It says, for God so loved the world. And you just stick your name in there because you're part of the world. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. You don't have to die, but have everlasting or eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why he came, to point out all the things that are wrong in your life. It says he came to the world to save the world through Jesus. He came so that we could experience his love, so that we could experience healing that comes from knowing him. Check out the last part of this song. Mild he lay his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Now, in this, there's a, there's a, the Bible talks about two different deaths. The first death is a physical death that, that our, the spirit leaves the body. That's the first death. All right, I'll tell you about the second death in a second. But John, Jesus and Nicodemus were having this question, this conversation that actually led itself to John 3, 16 and 17. But before that, Nicodemus is trying to figure out what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to live for him? And, and, and Jesus says these words in, in, in John 3, 3. It says, very truly I tell you, no one can ever see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So again, physical death, the first one is, is when the spirit leaves the body. All right, and just in case you're trying to figure this out, you are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. It's the most important thing about you, your soul. The second death is about what happens when the soul is separated from God for all eternity. That's a second death. That's for those who didn't know Jesus, those who didn't accept his grace, those who didn't experience the love that came through the cross and through the empty tomb. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you want to know God, you got to be born again. And all that means is that you surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you. He came so that we could be reconnected back to God. Only Jesus has conquered the grave. Only he can give us new life and new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, and he tells you today, you've got to be born again. Born again just simply means to surrender your life to him, to allow your life, to humble yourself just as Jesus humbled himself, came, put on flesh, and was born, and then died on a cruel cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, forgiven and free. It means trusting Christ. It means allowing him to be Lord, leader of your life, Savior, forgiver of all your sins, acknowledging that you need him, turning from your old life to walk in a new life with him, and even saying, you know what, I'm willing to go public and, and demonstrate this to the world by being baptized. Over the past two years and a couple of months, this has been the, probably the, the, the most beautiful thing in my being here and getting to see this and walk, walking beside you is seeing 98 people in our church say, I'm ready to do this. I want to, yeah, thank you. 
seeing 98 people go, you know what, I want to do this. I want to accept Christ. I want him to be, I want him to be known. I want people to acknowledge, to, to, to know without a doubt that he's Lord, he's leader of my life. And that's beautiful. It's being born again. Jesus, who, who was God, humbled himself. The creator became like his creation so that we could be forgiven and free. See, his, his birth was day one of a rescue mission for us. And here's the reality. Christmas is 14 days away. And not just all the stuff that's going on with, with all the sales and all the stuff that you've got to get done and all the decorations that need to happen. I mean, you know, I, everywhere I go, if I turn on the TV, like Star Wars, like this movie's coming out, like, it's like, yeah, rug, rug. I mean, we just got to, we hear all this stuff. Everything in our society is pulling us away from this, this, this moment in history. Somebody said this, at Christmas we attend 15 Christmas parties, we buy 15 Christmas presents, we run up $1,500 on our credit cards, we put on 15 pounds, and yet we don't have time to spend 15 minutes in worshiping him. And if we're not careful, we'll do just that. Trying to get all the presents done, trying to get all the decorations out, trying to think through, processing, trying to get the emotional strength to deal with our dysfunctional families. I know I got one too. I'm heading there in a couple weeks. The reality is if we just blaze through this, we're going to miss it. And I just don't think we should miss it. But in that day, most of them missed it. And I don't want us to be like those people. Jesus goes on to say this in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said this. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the million-dollar question. Do you believe that? Do you believe not only that Jesus came in the form of a baby, put on flesh, incarnate deity, but he died on a cross so that we could, we could see him, be reconnected back to him because of Jesus, so that redemption could happen in our lives. Do you understand the purpose of Christmas? Because in this, in this, in Luke 2, it's crystal clear. You understand that Jesus' birth was the way, day one, of God's rescue mission to save you, to rescue me, every person that we know, every person in our family, every person that we'll lock eyes with. That's the point and that's the purpose. It's the good news that will bring joy to all people who experience it. Because Christmas is more than you think it is. Christmas clarifies the message of God through the gift of Jesus. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Let's pray and we're going to worship a little bit and then we'll close out our service. Let's pray. God, we thank you. What it would have been like to be one of those shepherds. But God, the reality in this is that many of us have been this news of Jesus has been revealed to us through a person, through your word, through circumstances, through events, uh, through us finally looking up and seeing you. And God, we just want to take some moments now to do as this heavenly host of angels did, which is to worship you for who you are, for what you've done, for your willingness to send Jesus. Here's the reality, God. We, we know this inherently. If you didn't love us, you could have just left us alone. But God, that wasn't the case. That wasn't your heart. And so you sent Jesus to come and show us the way. You sent Jesus to come and take our place so that our sins could be forgiven because sin had to be paid for. 
But the beautiful thing is, is that even though the wage of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of that, we celebrate you. So God, just in the next few minutes, may we have one of these moments as our heads and our hearts are connected, as we corporately together with, with one voice and one accord worship you for who you are and what you've done. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. In Jesus' name we